Well, it's a joy uh, for me to be here this morning as well. Uh, as you have probably figured out by now, I'm not Richard. Uh, we need to pray for Richard. Uh, came down with a little bug while in Israel and uh, just couldn't be here today. He sends uh, his apologies, but uh, hopefully will be back with us very soon. Uh, our text this morning is taken from uh, the book of Acts, chapter 14, and beginning with verse 19, and we'll continue through verse 23. And then some of the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and and won the crowd over. And they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking that he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. And they preached the gospel in that city, and they won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting, They committed them to the Lord to whom they had put their trust. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You know, one of the things that I enjoy doing as I get older is to uh, make contacts with old uh, high school friends and classmates and just kind of find out how they're doing in their lives. And I met recently with uh, someone who was... Uh, a friend back then, and I knew him to be a professing Christian, a regular church goer, and an overall really nice person. We had a great conversation, but eventually, of course, I wanted to get around to his faith, and so I asked him how he was doing spiritually. Well, I was disappointed to hear that my friend had joined an offshoot of the, of the Christian faith that basically denies every major doctrine of evangelical Christianity. And, of course, we know that many others have done the same. And then, of course, there's the alarming statistics that many college kids, who even those who grew up in the church and are baptized, they do not come back to church when they get out of college. And it's not just young people. You could look at the membership of many evangelical churches and you would see the names uh, of many are just missing in action. They simply cannot be found. Well, I believe that uh, this describes a need and really an alarming fact in our church today. It seems clear to me that one of the issues that we face in Christianity is that we're often not grounded in the faith that we profess. So I've entitled the message today, Grounded in the Faith. And I want us to look at the context of this passage and see how it addresses this need. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas were near the end of their first missionary journey. And by any standards, it had been a tremendous success. Everywhere that Paul and Barnabas went, people believed and came to Salvation, But in the towns of Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, a serious problem develops. 
A group of leaders in the town of Lystra rise up against Paul. They stone him and they leave him for dead. And it appears from the text that Paul must have had some kind of miraculous healing. Because it says he just got up and continued his journey to Derby, And there he made many disciples. And then comes this curious statement in the text. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Now, rather than taking a safe route home, Paul and Barnabas go right back through Lystra and Iconium, where Paul had been stoned and left for dead. Now, my question is this. Paul, why would you do that? Why would you expose yourself to that kind of danger? Well, we see it is because he was committed not just to to leading people to Christ, not just to planting the church, but Paul was committed to grounding, nurturing and building the life of faith in these disciples. You see, we normally understand Paul to be a great evangelist, one who had led many to faith in Christ. But do we really realize how much of Paul's time and effort was spent not just winning people to Christ, but to grounding them in the faith and strengthening the churches that he planted? One of the saddest letters in all of the New Testament that Paul wrote is the one in Galatians. And Paul is so concerned about this church. He he writes in chapter uh, in chapter one. He said, I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you to be in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Paul understood something about the Christian faith. I believe that many of us may not, that there is a big difference Between the birth of faith in the heart and the grounding of that faith in a life. So what are the essential ingredients? If we are going to have a life that is truly grounded in the faith that we profess. And I think that the text offers at least two very important principles. First of all. We are grounded in the faith by the preaching and teaching of the word of God. And this is so clear. I mean, not only in this text, but in so many others. But here is what verse 21 says. And they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. You see, Paul and Barnabas understood that it was the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God that would bring strength and stability to the new church. He understood that the church would be facing all kinds of temptations to compromise and to water down the gospel and to adopt the values of the world. So Paul literally gives his life to the preaching of God's word because he knew it, that without it, the church would not be able 
to survive. I wonder, are we aware of how much a gift it is to be able to have the word of God to ground us, to strengthen us, to nourish and to feed our souls? Do we really value it, read it, and make it a part of the way that we think and live? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk around the road. And when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols upon your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, I believe that there are at least two ways that the word of God becomes a stabilizing force in our lives. Number one. It is the word of God that grounds us in the truth. Now, I want to tell you something that you might already know. The greatest friend that you will ever have in this world is a friend who will tell you the truth. Your greatest friend is not necessarily the person who likes you the most or not or the person who will tell you what you want to hear, the greatest friend that you have in the world will be the one who is honest with you and speak truth. Let me illustrate. Many of you know that we have a grandson, Levi, who came down with leukemia about a year and a half ago. He was taken to the doctor with certain issues and a number after a number of tests, uh, the doctors were able to conclude that he had leukemia. And I remember what it did to our family at that time. We were thrown into a complete state of shock. And I know many of you have been down this road as well. But we began to ask, what can we do? What are our options? Well, let's suppose the doctors, in discovering Levi's leukemia, said something like this. You know, we don't want to upset this family. Think of all the hardships that they're going to endure because of this news. Why don't we just temporarily set this apart and ignore the results? Let's discharge the patient and hope that the problem goes away. You get the point. You see, Levi's healing, and he's doing very, very well, was possible only because we faced the truth. You see, the law, the soul longs to hear the truth. And it's sad that one of the works of Satan in our world today is to cast doubt on the truth of the word of God. I love John 17. It's a chapter in which Jesus was actually praying for you and me. The followers into him that were to come. 
And he's praying that there would be a spirit of unity. That there would be solidity in the church and among the people of God. And here's what Jesus prayed. Lord, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And I have said on a number of occasions, maybe here, that the only reason that I care anything at all about the Christian faith is not because it makes me feel good. It's not just because it gives me good advice. The only reason that I care anything about the Christian faith at all and stand before you today is that I am utterly convinced that it is true. All of it is true, not just the parts that I enjoy reading. And I wonder so many of us have for so long been praying for our country because of the shape that it is in now. We're calling good evil and evil good. Because you see, we are a nation that is adrift on the sea of relativity. Where there is your truth and there's my truth, but there is no such thing as the truth. Now, I want to issue a little warning here. I am aware that the word of God itself could turn us into legalists. And this is important for us to see. Because, you know, you can know the Bible from cover to cover. And it never trans, it transform your life and make you into the image of Christ. Remember, it was Jesus who said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that speak of me. And so the word of God must do more than just give us the truth. The word of God, secondly, leads us to a deeper experience of the grace of God. As God's word teaches us the truth about who God is, it reveals God to be one of infinite grace who reaches down into the muck and the mire of our lives and calls us to a deeper experience of his grace. The Psalms are just full of this. Psalm 91 Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? One thing I ask from the Lord. And this do I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. 
and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Beloved, these are not songs merely of truth, but thoughts that carry the soul to the very presence of God and fill us with joy and delight. This is how Psalm 119 was written. I often wondered how in the world can the psalmist over and over talk about delighting in the word and the statutes and the commands and loving God's law. Why? Because he knew that they lead us to a greater knowledge and understanding of the grace and the beauty and the goodness of our God. And so we are grounded in the faith by the word of God. But secondly, we are grounded in the faith, according to the text, by learning how to properly respond to suffering and hardships. Look at verse 22. Then they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith, saying, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You know, one of the things that draws me so close to and desiring to read God's word is its authenticity. And by that, I mean that the Bible portrays life as it really is, not just as I wish it were. For example, we, I'm all, I'm sure all of us have experienced the sometimes super TV evangelist would say something like this. We will certainly be rewarded by our faith with a name it and claim it promise. In other words, whatever it is you want, you can speak it into existence. Just claim it. Health, wealth, success. A new spouse, a career, a house, a particular car. Just name it and claim it. Well, think for a moment. What's going to happen when the TV preacher says, send me your money. And believe that you'll receive your miracle. And so hurting folks desperate for answers. Send in the money, but never get the miracle that they asked for. What's going to happen to their faith often It is shattered. Now, the truth certainly is that God's grace does often bless us above and beyond what we could possibly think or imagine. He grants us answers to prayers and satisfies us with every good thing. James says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. But those of us who understand The things of God know that there's another side to the story. And the scriptures are very clear about this. Psalm 119, verse 71. The psalmist says, it was good for me that I was afflicted. That I might learn thy statutes. Notice what he says. It was good. Not just it was acceptable. Not just something that I learned to put up with. But the psalmist goes a step and says, it was good. And he tells us why. Because I can learn your statutes. 
by affliction, I am more grounded in the faith. Second Corinthians 417. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Notice the all important word in this verse. It's the word achieving. This is a powerful Greek word. It means to accomplish something, to finish it, to bring it about. It's saying that the trials of your life, when you look at it from the eyes of faith, have a mission. They're at work bringing something about that could not be brought about any other way. Paul calls it an eternal weight of glory. So far from being something to permanently damage and affliction afflict us, is preparing us to receive a great eternal reward. It is preparing us for eternity. You see, the faith, the message of the Christian faith is not that we're never going to suffer. It is that you're never going to suffer without purpose. You're never going to suffer outside his divine providence and presence. For every trial that he sends into your life is designed and intended to grow the roots of your faith deeper. I'm often drawn to the testimony of Christians who share their faith. And one of the themes I most invariably hear When someone is talking about how God has brought them to the point in this point in their spiritual journey is something like this. You know, I was doing fairly well, I thought, until some crisis in my life happened. Some adversity that I was not able to deal with. And what I found was the amazing providence and care of God. It grounds them and moves them. Into a deeper faith and walk with Christ. You see, suffering is God's ground to make you more of a faithful Christian. Now, I want to conclude. Some people might say, Stan, you know, this is really what I want for my life. Uh, I want my spiritual roots to grow deep. I not only want to know the word of God, I want to know the God of the word. Can you give me something that would encourage me in this endeavor to have my faith well grounded? Well, here is the exciting thing. It's all a work of the Holy Spirit. It comes just like All the graces in the Christian life. As we rest in him. As we lean upon his promises. And never attempt to do this in our own strength. But it's something we can't circumvent. There are no no shortcuts to the spiritual promised land. And so we are called to allow the Holy Spirit to take control. He wants servants that are rooted and grounded in the faith, not blown aside by every wind of doctrine. 
And so the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and he makes it live. He points us to the depth of his love and grace. He shows us the way of salvation. And then he walks with you and comforts you in every trial and adversity. This is what the Holy Spirit does when he takes over the helm of your life. What we find is that our spiritual roots grow deeper and deeper in the faith. Join me in in prayer. Our Lord, we thank you for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for the word of God that brings the news of eternal life and grounds us in the faith and prepares us for a life of service. Bless us as our roots grow deeper in the faith that we might trust you in all things. In Jesus name. Amen.